Hello, you're very welcome to The Week That Really Was with John McGurk and Sarah Ryan. It's the 8th of June, 2023. This week, after the excitement of last week, where we were joined by the ever-erudite and smart Mr. Cormac Lucy, it is just Sarah and myself. Sarah, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Um, enjoying the fine weather. I went to Lambay Island on Saturday on a boat. Is it true, uh, that, is it, it true they have kangaroos or something out there? Wallabies, they do. And I thought it was an urban legend. I really did. And I saw them. There's loads there. Apparently... So years and years ago, whoever lived on Lambay had two wallabies and um, he, they, the wallabies would get sick or whatever. So he kind of would co- contact the zoo and the zoo would say to him, oh, you know, give it cat food or whatever. And um, he developed this relationship with the zoo. And then the zoo was completely overpopulated with wallabies and they were going to have to do a call. And then somebody came up with the idea of giving a few wallabies to the guy who lived on Lambay. So they gave him seven males and um I don't know if they identified as something else because now there's 2,000 uh, on Lambay. So, yeah. That's, that's a lot that's of the story. What's going, to happen they, what's going to happen when they decide they need to do a call on Lambay? <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, um, but it's absolutely fabulous. I went swimming in the sea. It was gorge. I really recommend it to anyone. Um, so well kept. It's so much history and it's really fabulous. Yeah, never been. I'll put it on the list. Lambay, Lambay Island off the coast of Hoth, isn't it? It's off like the Hoth. You see it from Hoth, can't you? Yeah, yeah, you see it. I can't remember. Can you see it from Hoth? You can definitely see it from Malahide. So it's about 20 minutes on the boat from Malahide. There's an organization called Fish and Trips, and they do a boat over, um, a tour, and then they cook barbecue on the pier, fish and stuff, and you can have a glass of wine. Up. Well, the way the weather's been, I would probably have jumped off the boat, to be honest with you. It's just too hot. Um, at the moment, at least it is down in Tipperary. It's sweltering. Um, well, you think everything is too hot. You're not like me. I like to be kind of well done. Like, I don't think 40 degrees in Greece in August is that bad. Yeah, well, I am well done at the moment. I got well done on my holidays, and now I'm kind of healing uh, everywhere, which is, I'm not, it's a good job this podcast isn't on camera, put it that way. Anyway. Did you not put sun cream on? That's very Donna. No, well, you see, I thought I was acclimatized to the heat. I'm, I'm an idiot when it comes to the sun, basically. I'm like oh, one, you're like one of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't go that often or else I'd end up like one of those German gentlemen you see on holidays when you do go anywhere sunny with skin like a tortoise um, from over-sunning. That would be me. Um, anyway. I'm the opposite. Like, I'm like good, you know, good at the, the sun cream most of the time, especially with the kids. Um, I re- I heard a dermatologist on the radio one this week and she was saying that like something shocking like 30 or 40 percent of your sun exposure in your life is before you're 10. Um, so I have sun cream all over them every day at the moment. <laughs> My mother used to do that. I hated it. They'll forgive well, they forgive me. They hate it. They hate <laughs> it. I mean, and I said to Keith the other day, they hate it so much. I was like, and they've never been sunburned, so they don't have any there's no fear. You know what I mean? There's yeah. nothing I can. So I was like, maybe they just need to experience a mild bit of summer and see how unpleasant it is so that this won't be such an ordeal. But they go mental. I mm. They have to be held down. It's in my eyes. Oh. So, yeah. Yeah. But we stroller on. I'm not winning on many parenting things, but I'm winning on the sun cream at the moment. Well, I have to ask you um, to start the show uh, about your experience as a parent, because today um, in France, I just every parent's worst nightmare sort of unfolded um, Yeah, where somebody, a gentleman, I said on Twitter that I wasn't going to watch the video. 
And I fully mm. intended when I tweeted that not to watch the video. And then somebody I work with pointed out that since I'm the editor of the news organization, we probably needed to publish at least some of the video. Um, and so I had to watch the video um, to decide what bits of it couldn't reasonably be published on a family news website because it's one of the most extraordinarily upsetting things I've ever seen. Um, just horrifying. Uh, not actually, you know, if you do watch the full video, which I don't really recommend because I don't think anyone needs it in their life. Uh, there's no real, there's no blood in it. There's no gore that whoever was videoing instead of helping, which I don't like, but whoever was videoing instead of helping um, was sufficiently far enough away that you don't see anyone getting wounded. You don't see anything horrible, but you hear screams. And the screams are worse. Screams are worse yeah. than 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 the image of what's ever happening because they're primal screams. They're screams of a mother watching their child be attacked for out in a playground, no warning, while the assailant runs around with a smile on his face. It's the most disturbing thing I have seen. And when I was younger, Sarah, I was stupid enough when I was younger to you watch watched a decapitating video, didn't you? Yeah, of course. I I, oh, I think a lot lots of I think lots of people did. I never did, but I know people who did. Yeah. This was worse. Well, I'd say it is. This this was, I, this, was this was worse. It was less bloody, but it was worse. Um, I stayed off Twitter for the whole day because I find that you know the way things can just appear on your feed, mm. um, and you're kind of ten seconds in before you realize what it is. Um, yeah, like I have obviously three children, but you know I have a one and a half year old, which is roughly the age of at least one of those children, and I'd be in the park, so it's hard not to imagine or project your own circumstance onto that horror I mean it's just violence on a level that's not comprehend like it's incomprehensible like uh, what's the point of that I don't even like and it's not it's not that one type of violence is better or worse than a, a, another but in some ways it is and like if you're doing something well we don't really know if it's a terrorist attack yet or what exactly the motivation was if any is it just an, a, a lunatic you know what I mean? Who just went on a killing spree or whatever? No, no. It feels it, it feels much more targeted. And I'll tell you what was interesting about the video was that, and I, I say interesting in a, it's not interesting. It's revolting, but it's the reve revealing is probably a better word than interesting. Is that he didn't attack the mothers, um, push them away. All right, but he didn't attack the mothers. Didn't go at the mothers with a knife, which tells me that this individual location was a playground he targeted the children the 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 objective here was to kill kids or to severely wound kids which feels to me like i'm not a criminal psychologist i don't work for the police so, you know like a lot of other people i probably watch some amateur crime shows so but my opinion is not expert but it felt like me that this was a deliberate attack on sort of the last taboo the thing that even isis wouldn't do you know the thing that Thing that even well, they did the, bomb a children's concert a few years ago, didn't they? Did they? Um, no, okay. I remember Ariana Grande in Manchester. That was a kids' concert. Yeah, but even for slightly older, they weren't toddlers at that. You know, the, the, no, no, they, they were, weren't they toddlers. Were, they were yeah, yeah, young people, and there was a sense there with the there's kind of always some of those people who do ISIS crimes are kind of very young, 18, 19 year old. Basically, speaking in plain terms, blokes who can't get laid and decide that Western decadence is evil. You know, that's a lot of a lot of a lot of what goes on there. They don't attack kids like a or like three, four, 
This felt yeah, like yeah. it was this felt like it was deliberate to me, like it was deliberate breaking of the glass, a shattering of the last kind of universal taboo that we're supposed to have in society in terms of, you know. I mean, I suppose American school shootings do it, but that's normally kids attacking kids, right? That's normally some mm. student who has messed up. This is an adult grown man attacking toddlers. Uh, it just, it felt to me like there was, there was, it, just like the world is just so messed up at the moment that this is somebody almost crying for attention in the most revolting possible. And is he dead? No. But he's still alive. The French police did capture him by shooting him. They shot him, but they shot him in the leg. He will presumably face French justice and um, spend the rest of his life in prison. It, yeah, normally I'd say there's been no trial yet, but I saw the video. This guy's guilty. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't mind Bridget. Seems unlikely that he's getting off. Uh, well, unless he pleads some sort of insanity defense, in which case he'll spend the rest of his days in a mental hospital. But, I, you know, for me, there should be the death penalty for this stuff. And I don't like, I don't prove the death penalty. I think death penalty is bad policy in general, except in the most extreme cases where guilt is, guilt cannot be disputed and the crime is so bad that there is no possible rehabilitation and also where there's an element of vengeance that society needs to take. For me, from a primal point of view, this guy needs to to die. He won't, but I think, uh, as I say, I'm not a death penalty proponent, but I don't see how any other punishment is really sufficient. Yeah, I think I'm a bit similar. I mean, I thought that he'd been shot and killed by the police and I wasn't upset about it. Um, oh, I don't know. It's just so horrifying. The whole thing is horrifying. Did you say he was smiling? Smiling, laughing, cheering, singing, apparently. Uh, this is the other the other element of the story, which is funny, is that I've seen some reports, and this is none of this is 100% verified. I've seen yeah. some reports that this guy is not... As you might suspect, you hear a Syrian migrant to France, you think maybe Islamic terrorism. Some reports suggesting he's actually a Christian and that he was he was shouting something like praise Jesus Christ as he was doing it, which would be a turn okay. up for the books, not the usual kind of um, thing that you have happening in society, thankfully. But whatever the motive was, uh, whatever the state of mind was, there was there was no obvious indication that there was any restraint or reluctance in what he was doing he seemed very happy to be doing well you just said it yourself the world is just so messed up at the moment it's scary I don't even I like there's certain things I just try not to think about too much like and this is this will be one of them it's just so horrifying that unless it's right in front of you it's best to try not to think about it I think that explains some of the reaction. You know, I think oftentimes you see, um, and I saw a good bit of it on social media today, that when something like this happens, people are almost eager to move the conversation on to the next bit. Um, the the immigration angle, if you're somebody who's concerned about immigration, because this person had just come to France in the last couple of weeks from Syria. So the French imported the killer of their own children. Legitimate debate to be had there. But then on the other side, Sky News ran a piece on Twitter about how the danger was that this person would be used to demonize immigrants and, and brew up the far right. And it strikes me that both reactions in their own way, I know this will demonize some, this will annoy some people who, who are usually my readers, but I'm just going to say it, um, 
there's almost a, an eagerness to move on to have a fight with normal people. You know, a fight with, you know, the, the the left or the right or your enemies in the culture war. So we don't have to focus on what we've actually done here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that it's not really, you know, we don't want to talk about the guy who actually stuck a knife into a four-year-old because we'd rather talk about Nigel Farage or, you know, Paul. Whose fault it is on yeah. some, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but I think that's and that's because some things are so horrifying that no matter what side you're on, you don't really want to think about it too much. It's just beyond, you know, whatever. But I mean, t- things like multiple things can be true at the same time. Like lots of people come into France from Syria. They don't kill children, mm-hmm. you know, or try to kill children. So it's not a. I don't th- I don't think it's a smoking gun or a slam dunk or whatever for either side of any of those debates. I think it's just horrifying beyond belief, and that's it. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say, uh, and I, again, I agree with you; it's not a smoking gun. But I would say you need to reflect on the fact the person did come from Syria. If he wasn't in the country, this wouldn't have happened. It might have happened to some poor Syrian kids, who knows, or wherever else he might be. But like, I was looking today, and I'm sorry to jump the conversation onto something we we're going to talk about a little bit later on. But I was looking today at Ivana Bacic talking about how we might need a NEFET for refugee housing. Uh, <laughs> and I was thinking back to the time when we had a NEFET and Ivana Bacic, when we had a NEFET, and at the height of the of the COVID panic, which was a panic, made a speech on the floor of the Shannad. She hadn't won the Dublin Bay South by-election yet, but she was in the Shannad. And she said, and I'm not quoting her directly, but I'm quoting her accurately. She said, how difficult is it is it when everyone comes into the country to lock them in mandatory quarantine and make sure we know where they go and that they're not leaving their hotel until we're absolutely sure they're safe? That's what she said when it was about COVID. And if you said the same thing in the aftermath of this about people coming into your country, you'd be a racist uh, on Ivana's own terms. So, so yeah, I do think there's a, there is a debate to be had there, but it should probably wait for a week or two until the thing is calmed down. Okay, but, 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 so just on this, like, I don't mean to be, I mean, listen, I don't think anybody will spit tea out with the news that I am a Labour voter or a supporter by any stretch of the imagination. And I don't want to be, like, too harsh, but, like, Ivana Bacic being leader of the Labour Party and the Labour Party in general from recent polling is at existential crisis levels, right? So Ivana has to, I mean, it's just kind of like this cringe kind of thing now of trying to jump on, piggyback onto any sort of issue with some hot take that a few people sitting around in a room somewhere uh, have come up with so it's like Neffet style approach we will build what was it a million homes a year or whatever that was a while ago it's like they have to kind of try and be hip and cool and like jump on every issue and it's failing miserably and the whole I don't even know I couldn't even come up with an idea for how the Labour Party would make themselves relevant anymore but it's like, you know, we're like word bingo or something. And they threw a load of words into a machine and it said, what are the hottest words from the last five, the last three years? And Neffet came out and they just tried to marry that up with the refugee housing issue. And just that was the new, that was the new approach. Like, I think Labour 
in big, big, big trouble. And I think that this kind of nonsense that they keep spewing out is them trying desperately, desperately to get anybody's attention. It's like somebody standing in the window of, of a you know brothel and slowly taking off one item of clothing, but you know at a time and hoping <laughs> that someone will eventually notice. But it turns out that you're bollock naked and no one still gives a shit. Like that's basically <laughs> where we're at. Well, that would be very depressing. Um, yeah, but no, but that's but, like that's what it feels like. It's just like, how do we make people look at us and no one cares? You're onto something about the the coming up with stuff from the last years and throwing stuff year and so last few years and throwing stuff at the wall though because last week it wasn't wasn't labor but I think this is a thing that you're seeing a lot across sort of the Irish left in general. Last week somebody tried to make the refugees welcome t-shirts happen. You know, Maya Dunphy oh, appeared on social media with one refugees welcome, a couple of other celeb and it just died yeah. to death. And that struck me that like there was a meeting somewhere in some room <laughs> in Dublin too, where they were sitting around going, no idea is too stupid. You just hit us with something. And somebody that's said, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Somebody, somebody <laughs> said, I'm sorry, let me finish. Somebody said, somebody said, what about the repeal t-shirts? They worked. Yeah. yeah so yeah, that's, yeah. that's what happened. Yeah. There's a TV show in America. It's like Saturday night or not Saturday night Live, but like one of them. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, I think. And he does this game with celebrities, right? Where there's like spinning, um, like a, like a, you know, like a thing in a casino, those spinning, um, a wheel thing, but a, a wheel kind of, <laughs> yeah. but there's two wheels beside each other. And they, one wheel has names of loads of different type of singers. And then one wheel has songs. So it'll land and it'll be like, sing, in the style of Cher sing or in the style of Christina Aguilera sing the wheels on the bus and it'll be like you know and you have to yeah. like as a joke yeah, whatever so it reminds me of that because it's like item t-shirts style repeal issue refugees <laughs> refugees welcome t-shirts yes that's it or in the uh, you know in the uh, like uh mechanisms nefet in refugee style yeah perfect yeah, yeah. now let's go with that it's completely absurd it's it is people and it's the classic symptom of and it's not just government it's also opposition they're all exhausted they're all mm -hmm. bored honestly i think they're just tired and they're like letting also probably letting like kind of 23 year old people in a room somewhere come up with decisions because they're just like oh i don't even care anymore it's just exhausting yeah. what what do we do what did, what what did you know some character called something roy try on succession last week you know that's the yeah that's yeah, where yeah. we're at you know it's yeah. it's spin the wheel and let's get you know whatever going like i don't know that's it's the same with rte tv shows like you know what i mean celebrity schindler's list on ice or something you know what i mean who mm -hmm. who even knows what they'll come up with next nonsense complete nonsense and that's what this is a Neffet-style approach to refugee housing. What does that even mean? Well, that's what I want to know because I mean, does it mean does it mean bring back Doctor Tony? Like, is I he, think it is, means... he is, is he going to come back and start like giving out with people on the streets again and tell us all to stay at home and to like you know open up a second room in our house for refugees? Or I'd is it I... someone who's going to come on the news every day and give numbers? Oh, like... the numbers. Yeah, that'd be good. Oh yeah, so thirty-seven refugees arrived today. One was housed. What? Like, I mean, 
also the numbers were terrible idea during COVID. What like I think people is, became consumed with them. What I think of it is interesting about it as well, just from a sort of a meta level, is the is the idea that the ideal in Irish politics when there's a crisis is for the politicians to get out of the way and hand it over to the civil service. Because <laughs> if you remember, if you remember how Neffet came to the kind of prominence it did, it's because when COVID arrived in Ireland, we didn't have a government. We had a kind of caretaker Fine Gael arrangement because the election happened in January of 2020 and nobody had the seats to do anything, basically. And then Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael had to spend a couple of months talking themselves into, uh, in Fianna Fáil's case, breaking their solemn promise not to win with Fine Gael and Fine Gael's case, talking themselves into a rotating t-shirt. Um, and trying Good to figure times. Out if they could Good do times. Yeah. And so we didn't really have a government. And so Tony Holohan kind of took the ship of state in his hands. And 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 I mean, I think one of the books that was written uh, about this, either the one by Hugh O'Connell or the one by Richard Chambers, looking at the reaction, basically, I mean, there were several admiring voices in those books going on. It was a <laughs> glorious time. We had no politicians. Tony Holland just led the ship of state. And, and it's funny to me that, like, I think a lot of pol- a lot of people in politics kind of see that as an ideal era. You know, they didn't have to do anything. Yeah. They could just stand by and say admiring things about Neffet. But what I also love is that it's a perfect microcosm of like some of the, the and I include all of us, us Irish people as a collective, like, like that we, it reminds me of the Simpsons, you know, like when they used to be like rabble, 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 and they all like monorail, monorail. It's like we, Tony Holan wasn't particularly popular when this kicked off. There'd been some, you know, minor problems with the cervical check you know like the things things weren't great on that and then all of a sudden it was like well COVID and now it was like let's all put pictures of Saint Tony up on our house and everything's wonderful and we've all just moved on to this and we just forget about everything else you're right like you could literally do anything in Ireland and then if you just like saved a puppy from drowning or something it'd be fine I don't know well some people if they saved a puppy from drowning still wouldn't get you know I mean, I'd say Peter Casey saved puppy from drowning. He struggled to make the news. But I take that's the point that... Fa- that's fair. It depends I, on who you are, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, the, 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 there's... um, there's uh, You're definitely on to something there. Yeah, yeah. But no, I mean, if you're a right... If you're a right-wing, kind of like not part of the, you know, like not part of the... Not part of the mainstream media, whatever, you could literally rescue a flotilla of a thousand people on it and no one would care. But yeah, but in this case, if you're mm-hmm. in the right place at the right time, like... Same with Simon Harris. Simon Harris was not a particularly p- popular minister at all. Do you know what I mean? Like there'd been a no confidence vote in him. He caused the election. Like, do you remember? Called, he, the, the, he, the called, last... he caused the election. Exactly. And then he became this interim minister for health and everyone thought he was goddamn wonderful again. Minister for Justice, you mean? Or were you talking about before that? No, no, I'm talking about... Um, no, he was Minister for Health inter- like well, while the government was forming. Oh, you're correct. You're, no, you're entirely correct. Sorry, my apologies. God, I got a fright there. I was like, what? Did yeah, I, he was, mis- no, 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 did I misremember the entire phase of my life? He's been in, he's been Interim Minister for Justice for the last couple of months, so I got a little bit confused. Oh, yeah, you're, yeah, yeah. you're entirely correct. Anyway, um, the Labour Party, apart from calling for a Neffet-style approach to housing this week, have also, in the form of their deputy leader, one Aidan O'Reardon, been calling uh, the Leaving Cert, what, what was the quote? Was it cruel and heartless and callous and bad anyway? Doesn't like the leaving cert. Wants to get rid of it. It's not. It's not. It's not good enough for our young people. Uh, was his take? It's just too tough on them. I mean, my attitude as an old fogey is, you know, I'm glad something's tough on them, but 
What was your take on that? Well, well, it's nice to see he's making other interventions into the state exam since his last one was to ban To Kill a Mockingbird, which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, I think, I listen, the Leaving Cert is a hard exam. It's not a particularly enjoyable exam. The media whip everybody in the country up into a frenzy about it every year. It's not a nice exam, but it's not the only route in life. Maybe if we all stopped building it up into this massive, massive thing. Like I did my Leaving Cert. I didn't get a particularly good at Leaving Cert. I didn't get a particularly bad Leaving Cert. I did well in the things I liked because they're the only things I bother with studying. And I hadn't got no idea what I wanted to do. And I did history and English in UCD because I didn't know what to do. And the thing is that like, even if I'd wanted to be a doctor, you can ultimately find roots. You know, Mm -hmm. you can do postgraduate things now. You can do other things. Like there's a route to everything if you really want it. And so what they should be suggesting to young people is that, is that exact thing that like, it's not the end of the world. If you don't get the leading cert you want, you can repeat the leading cert or you can just find another route to whatever you want. But like, it's not, it's, it's not a good, it's not a great system, but what's the alternative? Like there's no, there's no other alternative. It's the fairest thing. It's, it's, you know, nobody can say that somebody's daddy got them into college or whatever. The CAO and the point system is, you know, it's not ideal. Fine. Doesn't suit all types of intelligence. But it is what it is. And, you know, like stop this charade every year. It's awful. It's terrible. It's just the worst thing of your life. It's too suggestive yeah. to kids. Look, I, I mean, you know, I, I know some people say Sarah and me agree too much on this show, but like, there's just not much I can disagree with there. I mean, I, I'm exactly like you. I got a, I didn't get a dud leaving cert. I got a decent leaving cert. I got five, 485, 490 points, I think. Um, four at five. I'm trying to remember four at five it was, and then I I did best in Trinity, which is a nothing course. It just because it was 485 points it happened to be my first choice. It was 485 points, but it was my first choice because I didn't really, really want to know what I wanted to do. I just yeah. knew because I was a bit of a dick that I wanted to go to Trinity. So after Trinity, I went oh to, I spent, god, you're one of those. Uh, one of the, one of those wasn't I? And just yeah. after Trinity, I went spent four years, learned a few things, but mo- very little of it in lectures. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, you know, it, uh, the thing about the Leaving Cert that gets me is the same people who tell people not to stress are the single greatest sources of stress. So yeah. you've got all these columns every year. Don't stress about the Leaving Cert. It's not that important. Then once the Leaving Cert started, it's like, let's review the English paper. Here are all the answers. Here's how the question should have been answered. And I can just imagine some poor neurotic kid at home go reading obsessively and trying to and convincing themselves that they messed it up when they didn't yeah or even if they did you know who cares uh it's it's one of those it's one of those exams where the people who shout at you don't get stressed they're kind of like you know if there's you're on the titanic and it's sinking and there's somebody running around at the top of their voice going don't panic don't panic causing everyone to panic that's and also like it's cliche but it's true like 22 years or what yeah 22 years since i did my leading cert like the real problems in your life will never be about the leaving cert. Do you know what I mean? Like the the things that the things that bother you, the things that affect your life, they'll never be the leaving cert most of the time. No, but I I still do sometimes get the dream. It's not the do leaving. You? Is no, it's not the leaving cert. It's not the leaving cert. I do sometimes still. Uh, 
I don't get very many recurring dreams, but I do have this one recurring one where I'm in the back of my maths class at Miss Garvey. God rest her, she died. Um, too too young. No, she's a lovely woman, best teacher I ever had. But I I used to never do my homework. Couldn't be yeah. asked. As I, I yeah. and I used to be there like trying to frantically do the homework down the back of the class before she reached me. And I do wonder. I, 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 that's a recurring dream I have. Like, there's a kind of a stress that gets associated with education that can kind of stick with you. Uh, so I'm back in her class fairly regularly, at least once a month, not having my homework done. Um, even though she was fascinating. Nice but like, what's the psychology there that you you just revisit that stress? I suppose it's a sense of being unprepared for something. If I was going to psychoanalyze myself, Sarah, I'd say it's something about that. I don't know. I don't have any recurring dream, John, at all, except for a dream of falling. That's, But that's not a dream. That's just a, a feeling. A sensation. But I, I, yeah, I don't, um, I don't remember believing Sarah being particularly stressful and I don't remember caring about it that much being honest so when there's this big huge thing like hype and it's the worst thing ever and blah 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 blah, like the worst exam you'll ever do in your life i literally last year was doing a drafting exam for the king's inn to become a barrister and i went into labor in the exam so i could definitively say having contractions and doing a, a drafting exam in the king's inn was worse than the leaving sir yeah so suck it up kids yeah get a grip <laughs> it's the <laughs> all right so that's the labor party's contribution to the week they want to ban they want to bring in effort and they want to get rid of the leaving cert um strange also like just again it's just another item of clothing being dropped on the ground look at us look at us please for the love of god look at us remember us we were here we're sorry we annoyed you so much after that general election years ago and didn't keep any of our promises but we're yeah. still here and we matter we promise uh, do you think she'll lose her seat by the way before we move on yeah because I think she will I I, 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 I know I, that constituency very well I know that constituency yeah, very well listeners who don't know Sarah's father represented that constituency for many years and Sarah and I both I, I shamefully didn't canvass for Sarah's father uh, canvass for Lucinda Creighton in it but I know that constituency very very well as well and they, they really are not a loyal bunch they always kick somebody out uh, and it's always I, somebody high profile. I think it's a funny constituency. I think it's, you know, I always remember, uh, I don't know if the borders, the borders have changed a number of times, but I always remember it used to be Dublin two, four, six, eight, and a bit of 10. And it's mm. like the the span is, you know, the, the Whitefriar Street flats, but Aylesbury Road, Ranala, you know, like it's just such a spectrum of of yeah. all type. The only thing it doesn't have is a kind of a rural, you know, element to it. You it know, does. the way like um some parts like Fingal, Malloy, where I live now, there's a huge rural element to that constituency. I always but remember Dublin, Ma- Michael McDowell used to always clean up in Rathgar because that's where all the barristers live. Yeah, exactly. So it's a tricky, funny, and Michael McDowell would have been like in, out, in, out. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. so I think that, um, I think that, look, it's anyone's guess. Again, it always, it, it will always depend. Does the government go to the full term? What's the parameters? What's the issues that the that the a general election kind of focuses on? Because that does d- define a lot of how seats go. But I think that Fine Gael will, will, um, have won. I think that uh, Sinn Féin unfortunately will hold on to that joker seat. Um, I think that the Fianna Fáil will hold one and the Green 
well, hold on. I, I, I think that people who voted for Ivana Bacic will have been disappointed with her performance as leader of the Labour Party. Yeah, I, th- I tend to agree. I think a lot of them were, were votes that were lent to her from people who voted yeah. Eamon, Eamon Ryan at the last election as well. Yeah. And he wasn't and I don't think, in the by-election. Exactly. And I don't think that... Um, I think that there, from what I... And like I grew up in that constituency and I still have a lot of friends there and would... Um, like, for example, I'm going to a memorial football match thing in Tulk Park for a local friend of myself, my dad's, who died during COVID and they're having a memorial football match for him and that'd be a huge local thing and um, so I know a lot of people who still live there and I never hear anything about her so I I think she'd be in trouble but things could change between now and the general election let's be honest but you know she she got elected her campaign was good in that by-election you know the other the other candidates from with the exception of Fina Gael I, I did like him but I think the candidates from the other parties were fairly weak. I think her campaign was good, and I think it was it was a moment, and she captured the imagination. But I think she'll struggle in the general. Well, we shall see. Uh, she might. Uh, the one thing she might have on her uh, to help her in the general. This is my. I'm getting better at these transitions. Is the fact that <laughs> the uh, the the people in that constituency might start getting a little bit angsty about their mortgages. Those who have them. Because we got the news today that the eurozone has entered into a, a, a technical recession. Um, the it shrunk by I think about 0.1 percent for the second consecutive quarter, which means we're now technically in a recession. But the European Central Bank says that it intends to keep pushing up interest rates. They've gone in the last year from 0 percent to about 3.75 percent today. So, Sarah, you're um, you're I think you're on tracker mortgage. I think you've said that before. If you haven't, we yeah. edited out. Um, no, no, uh, but uh, you know there there are a lot of people out there who are, and it's it's funny it's not being talked about. That's what I find bananas. It's not really been talked about the pressure that rising interest rates are putting on a lot of people because there's so much focus on the homeless, and that's kind of understandable. And those looking to buy houses, and that's kind of understandable. But there are a lot of people in this country with houses who are suddenly finding that their mortgage payments every month are going up and up and up and up. And it's not going to ease off because the ECB are going to keep pushing up rates until they get this inflation thing under control, um, yeah. which it's starting to level out, but it ain't dropping really fast yet. Um, well, the idea that it's gone up, I mean, pretty depressing. I mean, everything has gone up and that's fine. But if you have a mortgage, tracker mortgage like I do, yeah, like the increase, the increase in the mortgage payment is like eye watering, to say mm-hmm. the least. Um. And the last, and it's, not, like, it's, not, it's not optional. It's not like if you if fuel goes up, you can maybe drive your car less. You know, if, if it's grocery prices going up, well, you can, I don't know, change your supermarket by own brand. Some, something you can do to, there are ways you can cut back. With the mortgage, yeah. there, there isn't really a way to cut back on it. It's a fixed. Yeah. Some people, it's of course, a block of money that just comes out. That's it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, if you're smart, or some people just don't pay it. And then end up getting debt written off by banks and stuff if they're if they're wealthier end up going to court and losing everything if they're not. Um, it, but most people I think who are sensible know that the mortgage is a non-negotiable thing. Um, and it strikes me as well that the government are increasingly going to be in, in conflict with the ECB because the ECB's po- policy obviously is to make people poorer, 
bring down inflation because if you bring make people poorer, they can't buy as much. That means there's less demand for goods. Theoretically, prices fall. That's the theory behind putting up interest rates um, mm. to combat inflation. But the government, um, for political reasons, wants to make people a little bit richer. They want to put more money into the economy. They want to give people not necessarily tax breaks, as we discussed last week, but they want to spend more money and push up social welfare payments, push up pensions. So it's funny to watch like the ECB and the government in, in many ways are at each, other, at each other's throats. They're they're pursuing contradictory policies. Um, yeah. And the opposition will make that worse because they're all going to run on the basis of doing something about the cost of living, um, which is just a fascinating state of affairs. But how do you, what, how do you think that this is all going to play out politically? Because I haven't, maybe I haven't been paying attention, but I haven't heard much focus yet on the whole sort of mortgage sector of the economy. I think that this is just going to be one of those things that doesn't really seem like a problem until one day it is. And like, you're absolutely right that there's a few really loud things at the moment. There's housing and refugee crisis and all of these things. And I think all of a sudden, because I just don't see how it could play out any other way with the increases, with the like numerical increases in the mortgage payments that I'm seeing, and I know there's lots of other people out there in the same boat, that that won't suddenly start to increase defaulters. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't, I just don't see how that's not going to happen if these, especially if these numbers keep going up. And I think that what tends to happen is, you know, we're going into the summer, gets into silly season, things go quiet. And then around September, October, there'll be a budget and things will just kick off. And mm-hmm. I think this will become an issue ultimately. And I think that people, w- one of the things that, I think it's going to become more and more of a red red rag to a bull to a lot of people and be bad for the government and be bad politically is the fact that we're supposedly awash with money and people are absolutely yeah. to the pin of their collar in terms of their day-to-day expenditure. So I think it was you and I or somebody who was talking before about, you know, what percentage of your income you're giving over to the government in 2009 2010 2011 in terms of tax and usc and everything else when the government was supposed supposedly bankrupt versus what percentage of your of your income you're giving over now when the government is supposedly awash with money and if there's not a major difference why not yeah and i would argue i'd argue as well that most public services feel worse to most people than they were back then you know when when i think back to 2008 before the crash when bertie was still at the helm I don't necessarily remember a land of milk and honey, but we didn't have the massive waiting lists we do in the health service. Um, you know, classroom overcrowding, for example, had mostly been eradicated. Um, genuinely, yeah. that's not spin. It mostly had been. Most class sizes were, were, were 28 kids or fewer. Now that's an increasing problem in large parts of the country. Um, most public services were, were... The public service was not really an issue. Um, in, in most of those elections. There was some talk about health reform or what have you. Now it feels like the public services are kind of on their death legs. The government's taking vast wads of money and piling it up in huge mountains of surpluses and people are at the pin of their collar. You, you've spoken very eloquently on this show a couple of times in recent weeks about people who you know, and I know people like them as well, with a couple of kids, two incomes. If you looked at them from the outside, you would say, these people are doing really well for themselves. And if yeah. you talk to them and they're being frank, they'd say, uh, we're worried about money every day of the week. We're scraping scraping to survive. Um, 
So yeah. I, I, I do think there's 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 a, there's a huge potential problem there. And I think your timeline is good, too, because sort of September is back to school season, where if you don't know it yet, Sarah, you soon will. Cost of school uniforms, books, bags. It's a, it's a really yeah. expensive time for families. Um, yeah. And then not that long after that, sort of the Christmas pressure starts. So so I think it could be uh, a sort of winter of not much content for the government if this yeah. continues. Uh, uh, and, you know, exactly that. And there'll be a budget and there'll be a lot of talk publicly about, you know, surplus and how much money is being put away, this rainy day fund and that rainy day fund and this and that. And that's, that's all very great and very prudent or whatever. But if you're living, which a lot of my friends and people that I know who, as you say, from the outside look like they're doing really well and they're living on their disposable income is less than the dole and they work full time and they've got multiple kids and they're, they feel like they get nothing. It's going to be like a red rag to a bull. It, it, rainy day fund, it's raining. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, it's raining. But then you add and, in, then you add in, I'm sorry to come back to immigration. I won't talk about immigration. It sounds like I'm an obsessive, but like just today, I've just remembered you had the, my dog is growling tremendously beside me. I think he doesn't like it when I talk about immigration. Um, so if you hear the dog barking, uh, I don't know why he's not barking at, but he's barking at something. Um, but you come back to today's piece where the government is spending 1.5 million euro on a voluntary contribution slash fine to the European Union for not housing migrants. <laughs> and you just wonder, what are these people doing? I mean, politically, what are they doing? I mean, this is it, this is something they've voluntarily agreed to do. I mean, 1.5 million euro is not a lot of money, but if there's one lesson I've learned from politics over the years, it's actually the smaller amounts of money that get you in trouble. Because people, oh, yeah. under, people understand how much money 1.5 million euro is, much more than they do what 1.5 billion euro is. Um, yeah. And here you have the government, when people are at the pin of their collar, handing over money uh, in and hands up admission that we've taken too many people into the country and we can't take any more. But by the way, we're going to keep taking more in anyway because we're paying more fines. It just feels like they're living on a different planet to yeah. the average person. Um, and that and but that's people you said it yourself well just there that the small amounts of money sometimes you know end up meaning more than the big you know like what was the amount of money that Bertie Hearn supposedly spent on makeup do you remember that it was like 131 grand or something like mm-hmm. that and that was like a big huge thing and it's it's that it's it's not about it's 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 not about the amounts it's not about the you know it's about the mood of the nation when that story lands and if the mood is wrong at the moment that that story lands, it can just be like a match to a petrol-soaked pile of leaves, and that's I I think September October that's what that's what that will be the mood the public mood will just be there's been a lot of talk about the budget there's been a lot of talk about this there's been a lot of talk about that and I'm poorer than ever paying the same amount of money in uh, you know contribution to a state that is now awash with money. And you're talking about rainy days and fines that you're paying because you don't, you know, you're not in compliance with your refugee commitments. And I'm about to lose my shit. And, and I the, think that that's and the it. ever the ever present threat of the far right, which we have an RTE program about this week again. So yeah, I well, mean, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. I, I I think at the start of the program we were talking about the French situation. Um, I I. Either you or I said, I can't remember who said it, that it feels like the world is kind of a little bit upside down. And that's just a sense I get talking to so many people at the moment. I was talking to somebody 
uh, down here in Tipperary this week. Not a particularly political person at all. And mm. the phrase they said was, there's neither head nor tail on the country. And they weren't talking about anything specific. The conversation wasn't about immigration. It wasn't about taxes. It was just a general sense that something's amiss. That the, 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 everything seems to be going wrong. Everything is not quite as it should be. And I think that sense is there for a growing number of people. I feel it in almost every conversation I have. Now, maybe that is, maybe, I mean, you have to counter your own biases. Maybe that is people who know what I do for a living and, and, and read what I write and are pandering to me when they say that. Maybe they think everything's mm. great. But whatever the reasons they have for saying it, that that is that is something that comes up in conversation over and over you know and over again. But do you know what I think? It comes up in conversation for me, with me as well. Um, but I another thing that I think, and I think that this will become maybe like from a like as, as a social experiment or whatever, I think that it feels like it's, you know, as you said, Nate, like there's no head nor tail to it. feels kind of rudderless. And a, a part of one thing I don't think helps that is the rotating Taoiseach. I think it feels like in and out and in and out, it doesn't work. Mm. I think it feel it, it it feels like there's no leader. I forget who's the leader, and I'm politically tuned in. And I, you know, like obviously I always know who the Taoiseach is. Don't get me wrong, but you can sometimes forget. Like sometimes I'll say I'll read something that says Michael Martin Tornish, and I'm like, oh yeah, God, what is it? And I don't think that helps. I think it makes the country. It doesn't feel like this a person in charge. And it also feels like, because I remembered, well, we didn't talk about this before the show, but I want to talk about it before we end, because it, it's something I wanted to talk about and forgot that I wanted to talk about. Um, and it's, it, it, it's, it ties into what you're saying, which is that the leadership that there is seems to come from only one wing of the government. And I'm referring to the plan announced or re-announced or reaffirmed or restated this week to get rid of 200,000 Irish cattle. Um. <laughs> Which just, I mean, I know you're a city gal, but it was actually the the conversation I was just referencing where somebody said there's neither head nor tail on the country was from somebody who who is affected by that and quite upset yeah. by it and just thinks it's insanity. And I have no I mean, that doesn't feel to me like a government policy. It doesn't feel to me, and I recognize, by the way, not being naive, I recognize that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil are going along with it, but it feels like they're going along with it. It kind of feels like a thing that is happening that the two major parties of government don't really favor, would rather isn't happening, but kind of can't really do much about. So they're yeah. not really running the country at all. It's being it's being run by um, a few small members of the Green Party who believe that killing cattle is the best way to save the planet. Mm. It's a proposition which I won't describe in terms of which I think because it's a family show. Um, but I mean, all I will say about it is that between now and twenty thirty, Brazil plans to more than double its cattle herd. So if you think you're saving the planet by getting rid of two hundred thousand Irish cattle, I mean, come on. But yeah. the the specifics of that proposal, how it's kind of come about, how it is kind of it's sort of rifted into reality with the backing of a small number of sort of NGOs and activists and favorable noises from some people in the media, and absolutely no enthusiasm of any kind from the people who are supposed to be running the country but who don't want to stop it either. It just kind of feels like stuff is happening without the government really thinking that much about it. Is that an unfair mm. assessment or do you think I'm... No, yeah. I think that's spot on. 
Um, uh, combined with a lack of consultation with anybody who actually has something, you know, like to contribute to that conversation. You know what I mean? Like hmm. someone is actually involved. No, no contribution from relevant stakeholders, just a group of people uh, like and we have this with multiple other issues. People who know better than you telling you what you ought to be doing with your life. Mm-hmm. And, and and can I say, I think you've hit the nail on the head when you talk about the lack of leadership, because when I look at the government, I don't see a Taoiseach and a Taunish. I see the leader of Fianna Fáil and the leader of Fine Gael. Yeah. I don't feel like there's somebody who is running the country. I mean, do you take any 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 of our recent leaders? Enda Kenny was the leader of Fine Gael, but he was also the Taoiseach. He was the man where the book stopped. It yeah. was him. Whereas yeah. now there's a Fianna Fáil policy, there's a Fine Gael policy, the Taoiseach isn't really the Taoiseach because he's effectively the co-Taoiseach with the other guy um, mm-hmm. who's not really the Taunishta, he's effectively the co-Taunishta. Uh, they've rotated the office, but it's not really clear where the power in the government lies. Yeah. Um, and therefore... No, there's the a, the, like, the, the, the whole thing was done, and I get why it was done, and that's fine, Um, but I think in the future, political minded people or political students will talk and study about whether this worked as a concept and i don't think it did because ultimately the 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 feeling that we're describing that i wasn't able to put my finger on for a while and i just it just kind of came to me this week is that it never really feels like one person has their arms around this whole thing Mm -hmm. it feels like it's two people you know we're we're being co-parented by a divorced mom and dad. And, you know, they're, they're, they have their own agenda, both of them. Like, there's no unity here. There's no, no one has their arms around it. And so the ship is kind of all over the place and it just doesn't feel like it's got a direction. And that's not, I don't, I'm not saying that's the reason why the thing feels like it's got no top or tail, but it doesn't help at all. And I think that, you know, if we were going into a general election again and there was some sort of referendum situation where you were able to vote for the concept of a rotating Taoiseach again, I wouldn't. I don't think it works. I think the book should end with one person, the Taoiseach of the country, doesn't not help. who's in, who's out. It doesn't help that neither of them are a particularly effective leader in their own right, it should be said. Yeah, um, fine. But then, but even if they were, John, even if they were, then the period where the other one was the leader would, would show that this doesn't work as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. either way, it's just not working. Well, it's an interesting concept. And you know what we might do is we might get somebody in to talk about it um, uh, on a more a more lengthy basis. But we're kind of out of time, unfortunately, this week. But for what for the record, I think you hit the nail on the head there. So we'll leave it there, folks. If you have any feedback, as ever, send it in to us, tweet it to us, leave comments on TikTok. I am amazed at how popular this podcast has been on TikTok. Um, we don't obviously put the full thing on TikTok, we, various clips of it up but the engagement has been through the roof which has been great and heartening because we're not just talking to ourselves which is a relief when you start doing one of these things it's all the fear you're just talking to yourself so we've been very happy with the uh with the feedback that we've had across all platforms but please do keep sending it in um but sarah thanks ever thanks as ever for joining me um and until next week folks that was yet another episode of the week that really was see you soon <laughs>